0: Topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now, welcome Integrative Dieticians Allie Miller and her co host Becky Yu.
1: Hey, welcome to episode 57 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Allie Miller here, along with my co host Becky.
2: Hey, everyone.
1: And today we have a special guest, Allison Gannett, who I met at KetoCon a couple months back. And she talked during KetoCon about her story of her recovery from terminal brain cancer, how she used food as medicine, and it was just absolutely jaw-dropping and inspirational so i'm so grateful that she took her time to be a guest on our episode and we broke through a lot of information today from her farming background and getting up to nine cups of vegetables a day every day two plus cups of fat in her diet and how she makes it all come together as well as the connection of stress on disease in the body
2: Yes, I think this is going to be a really awesome and jam-packed episode, as usual, um, just about Allison's approach to keto as an adjuvant to cancer treatment and how she's really come full circle with from her own journey to working with patients.
1: Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest kind of take-homes that we talk about so much on our show is the individualized approach. Allison used the same term that we use often of this kind of layering onion if you will of all of the layers of the individual that when stacked together can create imbalance and we delve into her own personal experience of how she unlayered the intricacies of imbalance and how she's using alternative therapies to heal her body and and really thrive in her body so becky let's go into her official bio and do all that stuff so we can get her on the show now.
2: (laughs) All right. So Allison Gannett is a world champion extreme skier, a self-sufficient organic farmer, an oncology keto diet coach, and the founder of multiple nonprofits, including Cooking to Conquer Cancer. Diagnosed with terminal malignant brain cancer in 2013, she chose to address the root causes of her cancer with Dr. Nisha Winter's metabolic approach to cancer. She since has trained with Dr. Nisha and now helps others to prevent and conquer cancer by creating personalized keto diets using blood chemistry, DNA, and client history. You can find more information at alisongannett.com
1: and we will definitely be sure to post her website and other helpful links, as well as an awesome image which really illustrates her pathology, diagnosis, and some of the outcomes that she's seen, including scans of her body, of changes from polycystic ovarian syndrome, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, and the shift with her brain chemistry. So with no further ado, let's welcome on Allison. So hey, Allison, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, uh, we're so grateful and excited to have you on here and to share your amazing story with our listeners, both of your personal journey and your successes with other food as medicine warriors. So let's go ahead and if you can share with us, let's take take the listeners back to twenty thirteen when you were first diagnosed or, or how the diagnosis even came about with your terminal malignant brain cancer.
3: Well, you know, it was interesting because I was behaving really strangely, according to my husband, but I actually didn't know it myself um, that I was doing very strange things. Uh, I forgot to go speak uh, at a conference for Microsoft, one of the probably the biggest presentations I'd ever done with my professional extreme skiing, uh, motivational speaking. I forgot to get on the plane, I forgot to go. Uh, One day I was cooking bacon and the flames were literally licking the ceiling and my husband walked in and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I was sitting there just mesmerized by the flames. You know, I didn't even realize anything was wrong. At that point, he took me to the ER. I don't even remember being there. There's almost like two years of my life I don't remember actually, even though I was walking and talking and mountain biking and skiing. Um, I literally, it was like, I was not occupying my brain and my body were not communicating and they found like a, uh, you know, over baseball sized tumor in my head. It literally, if you look at the pictures on my website, it took up almost my entire skull. And a few days later we found a good brain surgeon or they did because I don't remember anything and, uh, Got most of the cancer out, and uh, literally they didn't tell me anything. Um, they were like, successful surgery, this is awesome. It was only when I used Dr. Google uh, that I realized that I had one year left to live.
1: Wow. Wow!
2: And then how long was it, Allison, until you found keto, and how long into keto, until kind of tell us your journey with keto until you felt well enough and started to see results?
3: Well, you know, it was kind of lucky for me on so many fronts that I found Dr. Nisha Winters, um, she's OptimalTerrainConsulting.com. I found her really early on in my journey because after Dr. Google told me that with (laughs) surgery, chemo, and radiation that I had less than a year to live, um, I knew that I first of all, I wanted to live. And second of all, I wanted to live well and return to skiing and biking and living and, you know, living out my days till I was old. And Dr. Naysha was she appealed to me on so many levels because I think a lot of things I found on the internet were kind of hippy dippy, ubi groovy, you know, like we're going to do this therapy or this therapy. And Naysha was like, you know, every single person's different. Every single cancer is different. We're going to use, you know, 60 to 75 blood markers to figure out why you got cancer. We're going to look at your DNA and figure out how that contributed to cancer. You know, we're going to look at your thyroid and your hormones. And I really liked her scientific approach. Um, and it was interesting. At the same time, she also really dives into uh, stress, emotions, Um and how those can play into the cancering process as well.
1: And so, interesting enough as far as the, the individualized and more functional medicine approaches. And I mean, for listeners, my, my understanding, Allison, was that you were already kind of farming at that time and being an elite athlete. You weren't coming from a standard American diet. Is this is this right? Or where kind of where was the transition that occurred with your perspective with food? And the role it Well, played.
3: I would say I definitely came from
1: my childhood of standard
3: American diet. Okay. And then when I became a professional athlete, I would say my diet got a lot worse, not knowing. Um, but, you know, those of us that are racing mountain bikes or competing, you know, you realize how many of those gels and bars sure. you eat, you know all that sugar that you're ingesting, you know, 24/7 and then, you know, you're overtraining 24/7, you know, sure. and every time you're sore, you have lactic acid and lactic acid converts to sugar. So, I think being a professional athlete, I was inherently becoming a giant carbohydrate sugar bomb. Okay. Okay. And then uh so I actually found, like, decided to take charge of my food in 2009. I was a climate change consultant, or am, and I felt that the elephant in the living room for uh, food security and inherently solution to the climate change process uh, was looking at where your food came from and how it was raised. And so I started, with my husband, a vegetable delivery business from 50 organic farms to the mountain town we were living at, Crested Butte, at 9,000 feet. And that was fantastic. We started eating better. Then I realized, you know, it doesn't make sense to drive your food around. And so we actually bought an organic farm in 2010. But, you know, I've been, at the time, before my cancer diagnosis, we were raising a lot of grains and legumes, and we have a very big orchard with 200 fruit trees. So, again, even though I thought I was eating really healthy, I would say I was still, like, pretty much low saturated fat, uh, high emphasis on wholesome, organic grains that I grew myself. Okay.
1: Okay. And your diagnosis as far as the brain tumor, this wasn't the first sign of health imbalance in the body. Is that right as far as hormones and other markers of stress in your system?
3: Yeah. You know, it was interesting. I feel like it's peeling layers of an onion. Once Dr. Nisha showed me like my history and what it all meant, um, I found some old lab work from like 1996, and uh, I, I had Hashimoto's thyroiditis that was undiagnosed way back then. Um, I, I can remember when it happened. I, I had shingles as a child. Um, I had a lot of autoimmune problems. I had Epstein Barr or Mono. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all these things that are like, it's crazy how common they are in cancer patients like myself.
1: The the surveillance system isn't working appropriately. Yeah.
3: I mean, as I, as my good friend said, who's an epileptologist, she says, you know, the check engine light was on Mm -hmm. probably my whole life and I just kept putting, you know, a sticker over the check engine light. You know, I would, get bronchitis again. And I would just take another round of antibiotics and keep on going and overtraining and traveling and competing. And I just never took care of my body, but I also never knew how to take care of myself because I would look at my lab work. Um, you know, I'd go to the health fair and everything was quote unquote normal, (laughs) (laughs) And what they never told me is that when they say in range, it's a statistical average. So let's say you live in Colorado and almost everybody has pre-diabetes, which is kind of what I see today. Um, if you have pre-diabetes, you're going to be in range, you know, sure. which is terrifying. you know, that's scary. And, you know, Dr. Nasha, first of all, she taught me how to deal with my own blood work. And, you know, then I went back to school with her and now I've seen thousands of people's blood work. and. You know, there's no reason that we aren't testing people for their DNA and their blood chemistry when they're, you know, one year old and doing prevention for cancer at a very young age. Sure. Absolutely.
2: Awesome. And I listened to your talk and Dr. Nisha's talk um, at the Low Carb USA, and you talked a lot about this Terrain 10 and kind of why people get cancer and getting into the underlying Mechanisms, if you will. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that.
3: Sounds good. Yeah. I, you know, it's being a farmer is kind of ironic that Dr. Nisha's whole, um, you know, kind of paradigm is that we are the terrain. She calls the terrain our body. And basically, if we nourish uh, our body's elements, then basically, just in the same way that as a farmer, you know, I'm going to put compost on the soil and make, if I have healthy soil, then I'm going to have healthy vegetables. If we are going to have a healthy body, then, you know, cancer, we have floating uh, cancer cells in our body that are produced by our bone marrow every day. So how are we going to, how is our body going to deal with viruses and hormones and? you know, imbalances. If, if the terrain or the soil is really healthy, then our body is going to be able to deal with all those problems.
1: I love that. We always talk about, I love that connection of the soil not being a dead anchor like we use in such large scale farming. And it's, it's a very cool connection to the body and right the biome and all of the different layering influences. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, and, and so how about when we're talking about some of these you mentioned, um, like DNA testing and, and testing that can be done even in in babies as far as preventative measures and how we can use information advanced medical inter- interventions to not just work as treatment modalities but as preventative elements to support the body's optimal function? what would be like uh, two or three labs that you find to be the most influential? And I'm sure they change based on the patient's need and where we're going, but just as a kind of a general rule of thumb, what are two or three rocks that you really like to pick up that you feel are not looked at amply in the American medical model?
3: Well, I think most people can go to a health fair every year and get kind of the standard array uh, that they do is is pretty darn helpful. But The problem is, is how do you read that in a helpful way? Like for example, you know, they'll say 5.7 for hemoglobin A1C, which is a marker of blood sugar over time. Um, That's something we look at a lot Um, in a standard uh, health fair. You might get a number of like 5.7 or 5.6 and it would say, you know, it's elevated, but it's in range. Dr. Nisha would want that number to be all the way down at 5.0, so I think blood sugars in general is one really good category. Uh, The first place I look um, with my friends and family is, how are you doing with blood sugar? And I look at hemoglobin A1C, um, fasting insulin is very interesting. for people because really I, we don't care as much about blood sugar as we do with insulin resistance. And I'm sure you guys are very familiar with that. Um, and the other markers uh, are inflammation markers, um, but sugar is also, you know, inflammatory. So the first inflammation marker I would look at is sugar. Then I would look at um, other markers like lactate dehydrogenase, which is a marker of inflammation, mm-hmm. uh, sedimentation mm-hmm. rate (ESR) is another great marker of inflammation, and hsCRP, which is a common test, uh, C-reactive protein for heart disease, um, and that is also another really good inflammation marker. And if you get everybody's been following the whole cholesterol calamity, um, <laughs> you know you can say that. HSCRP or uh, C-reactive protein is the new go-to marker for heart disease. It's also a very good go-to marker for cancer.
1: Sure, absolutely. And that silent killer being one of inflammation that can drive so many different mechanisms of destruction in the body for certain. And how about as far as toxicity. um, What types of, of testing do you guys work with for environmental toxins or heavy metal assessments? Well, you
3: know, we first look at kind of the standard blood chemistry panel to give us kind of some ideas of where the person's terrain might be off. Like, for example, if people have high elevated liver enzymes, yeah. that's a pretty good indication, if their ALT and their AST is above 20, that they've got some kind of toxic water, uh, non-organic food um, process, and they might have an environmental toxin um, from their job, or it could be mold, you know, those type of things. Acinophils, are another really good marker. If those are above two, that means that it could be an environmental allergy going on or a food allergy going on. Um, high monocytes also can mean uh, toxicity. Uh, could be heavy metals.
1: So these um, are the- white blood cells that we'd be seeing um, off in like a CBC even as a cheap marker of assessment. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's a cheap
3: marker. So instead of running out and getting all these expensive sure. tests, we need to look at kind of the, the basic blood chemistry first. Um, for example, if eosinophils are high, it might mean that you're allergic to hay. But if that eosinophils are high in January, it might mean you're allergic to a food. Sure. So then we'd want to go on to like kind of uh, a standard healthy diet. Let's say the person is either preventing cancer or trying to conquer cancer. Let's say we put them on a ketogenic diet because their inflammation is very high usually the eosinophils will go down to a normal range in three months. But if they don't, then it would indicate that there's kind of a bigger picture uh, allergy going on that's either genetic or something more permanent that you might have been born born with.
1: And then you'd want to do more advanced levels of immunological uh, yeah. food sensitivity testing or, or then maybe go down... Yeah, you
3: might want to do, you know, if it's related to leaky gut, then we're going to
1: treat leaky gut first, sure. um, because,
3: you know, oftentimes if you resolve leaky gut problems and the food allergies go away, uh, and so leaky gut's always the first go-to to try to figure out what's going on there with the biome, et cetera. I mean, you hardly see anybody these days with a healthy microbiome. Yes and so you know it's just like peeling layers of an onion you know if the hormones are off um first of all we're going to do like some hormone balancing with blood sugar mitochondria inflammation and if that doesn't take care of things you might want to do the dutch hormone test um if there's uh some heavy metals that appear to be going on then we'd want to do some heavy metal testing or like cyrex uh array 10 is really good um food sensitivity test, you know, the layers just keep going.
2: Awesome. So that sounds a lot like what we do clinically, you know, in functional medicine, really getting to that root cause and and kind of going below the surface to see what is causing um, dysfunction in the individual's body. Um, So I want to talk about why keto can be used as an adjuvant to conventional cancer treatment, why it works for cancer, what types of cancer, um, and let's get nerdy here if you want to and talk a little bit about the mechanisms as well.
3: Boy, well, I wish I had, I wish we all knew exactly the mechanisms that are going on with keto. I mean, I go to these conferences and the scientists are producing paper after paper after paper about cellular signaling that's going on, mitochondrial repair, you know, energy production in the cell. Uh, I mean, we could geek out forever on what's happening at a cellular level for DNA uh, and for cellular repair. Uh, It's interesting because the scientists are still arguing a lot about exactly what's going on. Um, And they're actually showing, the latest reports are that High ketones are important, and that would be beta hydroxybutyrate and also acetoacetate. But what I think people forget is that the most important component of the ketogenic diet is lowering insulin. Yeah. And I think that's why a lot of people are like, oh, I'm just going to go take supplemental ketones. You know, well, the body is doing a very complex process when it goes into ketosis. And when we go into therapeutic ketosis, you know, for example, someone like myself with terminal malignant cancer, we're gonna want our ketones somewhere between three and seven. Uh, so a higher level of ketosis than say someone who has maybe, uh, you know, a, a low level of breast cancer, for example. Um, so everybody's different, and, but I think the long story short, what we're really seeing is the mitochondrial repair and the lowering of inflammation. I mean, those are the two things that we just see so steadily on the labs uh, that improve for either someone with cancer or without cancer. And I think a lot of people are thinking, well, I'm just lowering blood sugar and cancer feeds on sugar. Well, that is true. Um, And we do know that cancer is metabolically inflexible, it can only Uh, basically ferment glucose, which either comes from glucose, sucrose, fructose, or carbohydrates. Um, So cancer is a damaged cell. Um, And so when you do not provide it with its preferred fuel, uh, cancer cells can wither, they can die. Uh, They've actually also shown cancer cells reverting back to normal cells in the presence of ketones and of low insulin. Um, I think, I think in one year, two years, 10 years, we're going to know a whole lot more about the intricacies of the diet and what's actually happening, Uh, but what I notice in my own labs is that all these conditions that my doctors told me were irreversible, such as polycystic ovarian disease or Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Um, or terminal malignant brain cancer, you know, I went on the ketogenic diet, and those things disappeared. So it's it's pretty mind blowing, and I I, I really geek out on the biochemistry uh, about what's actually happening. But uh, I'm sure you guys can throw in some gold nuggets in there. <laughs> of yourself you know it's a complex process that's going on
1: sure absolutely well and and have you yourself allison with phases since well this is now for what year are we in now (laughs) four or five years about um since diagnosis and going into this journey do you kind of recalibrate, titrate, adjust fasting, adjust macros? I, I see that you use the ketonics breath meter. What types of things are you monitoring on a daily basis? And kind of are you changing with season as far as what, how you address your diet specifically? Well, my diet's
3: very seasonal because I grow my own food. So mm-hmm. uh, diet changes literally daily. Um, huge. Emphasis on leafy vegetables. Um, I basically pick almost every day, like a giant bag of, uh, of stir-frying leafy greens of all different ca- uh, colors and shapes and sizes and species. And then another whole bag is like my salad greens, because you know, to get uh, six to nine cups of vegetables in in a day and not exceed twenty grams of total carbohydrates is difficult. Um, for sure, for anybody. I have found that the one thing I monitor every day is my blood ketones, which I take somewhere between 6 and 8 p.m. every okay. day. Okay. And so that's really going to give me a good handle on how I did uh, for lunch as far as what I ate or didn't eat. Um, so I'm always kind of testing my own personal metabolism to see uh, how I'm doing with some kind of new food like. Last week, I switched up uh, the types of chocolate that I've been using, and I got my ketones like two points higher just by changing the type of chocolate that I was using in my fat bombs. Okay. So I'm always experimenting and changing. Um, I do use blood glucose to test foods as well, um, and ketonics less and less um, lately because. Um, You can eat carbohydrates with the ketonics and you can get a false positive as far. So that was goofing some of my clients up because they weren't knowing that carbohydrates could throw off ketonics. Okay. Uh, But there's a new device called Level that's coming out Mm -hmm. and I'm supposedly getting one this week. And that way I'll be able to eat just one food and immediately blow into that device and see how my body is metabolizing that food. I know for me, like coconut, throws me out of ketosis like like no other food.
1: Okay, even even pure coconut oil.
3: You know, MCT oil, no. Uh, but um, I have a problem with coconut oil. I always have. And then when I got my genetic test back, um, I'm ApoE four,
1: mm-hmm. so mm-hmm.
3: I realized like here's the reason um, that coconut oil was always a problem for me and i didn't know it until i got my genetic test back
1: and for people that don't have financial constraints with some of these i know level is is quite a, a pricey meter it's a pricey. <laughs> um yeah. you know any other you know we talk about things like um we, we you know we know that the urine strips aren't necessarily very accurate and it's a solute and of course the body stops spilling urinary ketones Um, But changes in breath as far as like the cardboard or metal breath. Any indicators that you experience yourself or with clients as far as either like an oops um, influence of cross-contamination or, or, or kicking yourself out to more of a lower level than the therapeutic range you're looking at, like a, a, a pinky finger <laughs> that gives you inflammation or any other particular, or do you get a cognitive shift with blood sugar or a crashing influence? Any, any physiological responses that are your kind of personal metric or that you've seen as trends?
3: You know, it's interesting.
1: I think the biggest thing I've noticed with my
3: personal body testing, which I'm always doing, is that how I feel is zero indication of how my blood chemistry is, is going. Um, because I test my blood so often, a lot of times I go in and I'm like, oh, I'm feeling really terrible. I'm sure that my inflammation is going to be through the roof. And it's perfect. So um, what I have noticed is I just switched to Keto Mojo. Uh, for blood ketone testing and for serum glucose testing. Okay. And the nice thing about that in the past for me, the ketone strips are just so prohib- prohibitively expensive right. um, that I would test my ketones, you know, twice a week. Um, now I am testing every day because those strips are only 99 cents. And by testing Six hours after my midday meal, I am able to test how I metabolized my midday meal every day. So whenever I do my experimenting with certain foods, I try to do it in the midday. And then that 99 cent test at night is giving me a really good indication of how my metabolism is doing that day. And I can also use the really cheap urine, uh, I'm I'm sorry, uh, blood uh, glucose strips. Okay. Um, And I'll do those two hours after I eat something. Um, So if I create a new recipe, like I created a new uh, recipe for my ApoE ice cream, I call it, my dairy-free ice cream. And so I would test my ketones fasting in the morning, let's say they were 69. Two hours after eating uh, some type of new recipe or whatever I'm eating, two hours later I can test my blood glucose and for me, If I am less than 20 points higher than my fasting, then uh, ideally more like 10 points higher, then I'm metabolizing that food as as fat and not as sugar or carbs.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think that's a great resource too. It's gotten a lot less
3: expensive. That's for sure. Absolutely.
1: Well, and I know a lot of people when I was looking at some of the recipes on your blog, and I, I love that. You are so produce centric and, you know, I I think it's a little difficult especially when people are first getting in, you know, we, we often say to clients that they sometimes do have to snack into ketosis until they truly become fat adapted and really stick to just the leafy greens. And then they can expand their vegetable repertoire because it can even be difficult for some people in the first weeks to eat things like Brussels sprouts and stay keto. Um, and so it's working out yeah. their working up their fats and, and, you know, teaching the body that there's this alternative fuel source and getting that insulin down. Um, Mm -hmm. but I was super excited to see you being able to use even things like pumpkin, um, in, in moderate amounts. Can you share how that works? with listeners and, um, you know, whether it's it's just ensuring that that particular recipe has ample amounts of fats, or I, I know that there's definitely a Bricks influence with an heirloom variety <laughs> over a store-bought sugar pumpkin. Um, yeah. Yeah, share a little bit of that. Oh, you
3: nailed it. And it's funny because I had a client this morning and he was like, you have on a recipe that you sent me for pumpkin french fries and, you know... Those, according to chronometer, are going to throw my carbs through the roof. And I said, well, first of all, there's a big difference. What you just said is so nailing the, the nail on the head is that when people are first going into ketosis, they're much more sensitive to carbs. And so we try to get down all the way down to 20 total carbs, uh, probably for the first three to six months. Um, so that their insulin comes all the way below three and their HGA1C hopefully comes all the way down to below 5.0. At that point, when their labs are more stable and let's say their tumor markers are stable and their inflammation is down, uh, then we can start experimenting with uh, either serum glucose testing or serum uh, ketone testing. Let's say I make my uh, keto pancakes for lunch and they have pumpkin in them and eggs in them. Uh, and so I have to balance them out with tons and tons of fat. I literally make like almost butter sandwiches with the pumpkin pancakes. And then I will test them with the, either the serum glucose or the serum ketones six hours after eating that meal. So maybe on chronometer it's showing that the carbs are gonna be off according to that meal but then I actually eat it as a very keto adaptive person, um, my blood ketones will still say high, even though that was slightly more carby than was indicated that I could eat for that meal. And it is really balanced out with the sufficient amount of fat. I mean, I, I eat somewhere around 300 uh, grams of fat a day, which is somewhere around two and a half cups of fat a day. Yeah. And that is the key for me to keep high ketones. Okay. Um, And I think a lot of people, uh, I have yet to have a client come to me that was actually in ketosis when they were eating the ketogenic diet, even for a year or two, because a lot of times they're not measuring and testing.
1: Awesome. And how about, I, I know you mentioned in your talk at Ketocon, uh, I think you said there was that, that small part that was left or remaining of the tumor. J- you said you named it Junior. <laughs> is that right? Yes. <laughs> Tell us, I, I just, I, I like that perspective as far as, you know, kind of making uh, lemonade of a situation and, and this like visual motivator or will you kind of share what that, what that is and how, how that perspective influences your daily decision-making process?
3: Yeah, and I think this should influence everybody's daily decision making process. Um, I was reading a scientific paper a few weeks ago that said our bone marrow produced between 500 and 2000 new cancer cells every day. And this is a healthy non-cancering person. So if our body's producing cancer cells every day and they're in there, they're just waiting for an opportunity. And this little tumor that they missed in my head that I named Junior, we don't know if it's a collection of uh, live cancer cells or dead cancer cells or even what it is because I'm not going to have brain surgery again. And yeah, that was a horrible experience and a lot of people almost die from that. So I think of those cancer cells being very opportuni- opportunistic and they're sitting there like little Pac-Men and they're just waiting to be fed glucose. So anytime I want to cheat, I think of those Pac-Men in my body and that I don't want to give them that opportunity.
2: It's definitely a good motivator for sure. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about your work with clients, kind of how you fell into that and, um, how you used your experience to, um, you know, start making this, um, your career.
3: Yeah. you know, I, I initially, wanted to go back to my extreme skiing career and I really loved it. And Nisha said, um, Dr. Nisha was like, just because, uh, you love your job doesn't mean it's not killing you. Mm -hmm. And I do think it was a very good lesson for me. Stress has been one of the hardest things for me to reduce in my life. So I did end up selling that business and boy, you know, when my stress level goes down, my cortisol goes down, and my insulin goes down, and my HDA1C goes down, and it's just amazing. It's amazing how the body can manufacture sugar. Yes, yes. Uh, so, yeah, we could do a whole chapter on stress. <laughs> anyway, back to the client thing. Um, so, nisha was teaching me how to read my own labs and how to track them in the spreadsheet, and I just... I'm just such a science girl. I was really geeking out on it. And she was like, hey, you know, do you want to train with me? And do you want to learn how to do this for other people? And I was like, I really wasn't ready to add more stress to my life with clients. Um, But I really felt that it was an awesome opportunity to heal myself. So that's how I started with this journey is uh, training with her, learning to read labs. And I definitely peeled layers and layers of my own onion while I was under training with her. And I, I think now it's uh, it's tough um, balancing, you know, because it's a life or death job that I have kind of now. If, if people work with Dr. Nisha and they work with myself and they do the program, they live. And if they choose to, like, not monitor and test or not turn over some difficult stones in their terrain, um, you know, oftentimes they don't make it. So it is adding meditation to my life has been really key to separate um, what I can do for my own life and the my own healing and how I can help others in the best way that I can. But that, in the same way that I can't solve climate change on my own, um, I can't solve cancer on my own. But the little steps of helping people that were, you know, put out to pasture by their doctors and seeing them make it and seeing them live a long, healthy life—it's, it's a beautiful blessing to see that.
1: That's awesome, and and such a full circle journey. I think it's interesting how you can acknowledge and important for listeners that passion and career and and even things that can make us happy can be stressors or even our Achilles heel. And kind of having to redefine that sometimes can be very difficult to do. And especially when it's a joyful stress that's causing imbalance in our system. Um, When you mentioned meditation, do you have any resources or what got you started with that? Because I know that that's a huge piece of the puzzle. We do so much work with HPA access and breath and cortisol and epinephrine. Uh, and that's always something that we're looking to to find beyond, you know, doing the four, seven, eight breath and other techniques. Um, what got you into meditation? Was there a particular book or anything that you listened to, or any particular coursework?
3: Well, um, I started with EFT uh, because I I had some emotional demons, and if anybody has read Dr. Nisha's book, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer she has each of the 10 chapters devoted to uh, a terrain item. And so one of them is emotions. The other one is stress. And I was just noticing a huge pattern with my ketones were very uh, good on the days that I was eating well. And then the next day I was eating well and my ketones would be terrible. And nature was like, it's stress driving cortisol and cortisol insulin. And, and so I started really tracking my cortisol. I asked my doctor to track it monthly along with my other markers that I track monthly. And I really noticed an extreme pattern of high cortisol. And so mine was somewhere between 18 and 20 on average. And this was after I sold my business. Wow. uh, I really thought that, you know, when you get this cancer diagnosis, I'm sure people out there who have been in my shoes, you want to go back to normal, like that's your craving is to go back to normal before cancer. And Naisha has another great quote, she's like, normal gave you cancer, Allison, there's nothing <laughs> about normal that you want to go back to. You know, you really need to redefine every single area of your life from food to your mental health, to your emotional health, to your HPA axis, you know. And so I got stuck on this cortisol thing and I was, I decided to use an experiment. And finally, when my HGA1C, even though my ketones were super high, my HGA1C was climbing and this was after being on the ketogenic diet for over three and a half years and so my kid, my HGA1C went all the way down to 5.0 and it started climbing, climbing, climbing and it was all due to stress. And this was stress that I did not perceive. I was really trying to take care of my own body, I had sold my business, I was really focusing on my health. And so Naisha was like, when are you gonna look the elephant in the eye and start doing meditation? Okay. So, I signed up for two classes, one for Monday nights uh, at 8 o'clock and one for Tuesdays at 5.30. And I started going diligently. And I also, in that period, it was just the first month of just going to those two classes, my cortisol went from 18 to 20 all the way down to 11. Wow. And, that's incredible! And that was mean. just from, like, that was being brand new to, I call it the sport, because the, the sport, you know, training for meditation, it's, it's like a toolbox yes, yes. in the way that I learned to mountain bike or I learned to surf or I learned to ski. Learning to meditate is not what I thought it was. I really thought, like, how hard can this be? And it is, it is really challenging. And it's really good to have instruction. And I think in the same way that I had a hard time finding a yoga teacher that I like, it's hard to find someone that you really click with as far as a teacher goes for meditation. Um, And so since I don't use a cell phone, I really didn't want to use an app. Um, I wanted to be away from my computer, so I wanted the human experience of going to uh, learn techniques. I'm still going to those classes. I've added in, uh, my carbon dioxide was also quite high Um, And that's an easy standard blood test. Um, But when that's high, it means that you're not doing good belly breathing, in my opinion. You know, you're breathing kind of in the top part of your lung. And so I added heartmath.com. Have you guys ever tried that, the inner balance?
1: No, no.
2: I haven't tried it. I've heard about it. (laughs) It's
3: a little thing that you can use in your phone on airplane mode or you can buy the device and it clips onto your ear. And it measures heart rate variability along with your breathing together. And I really like it um, because it makes me focus on the deep belly breathing nice and slow. It has different challenge levels from like easy to extra hard. And as soon as your mind wanders towards like, oh, you know, I've gotta do that uh, email, I forgot to email so and so, the thing will go like to red and it'll make a bad noise. (laughs) (laughs) when you're doing doing, like thinking nothing and which is a very hard thing to learn yes uh when you're thinking about nothing and you're focusing on your breathing and you're really just focusing on chilling out your heart rate gets very very smooth and the colors get the noise gets happy and the colors get happy and it, it gives you a score at the very end and you can do one minute 15 minutes um you know, it's a great thing. You can set your timer to just do one minute every hour.
1: That's incredible. And, you know, because I think a lot of people are in that mindset of, am I doing it? Am I meditating? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> right. The wild stallion of the brain takes over again and it's like, ah, harness. And it's it's so synergistic, Allison, to have you on today because we last week just had our third class of our virtual ketosis program. And there's just over 100 members in it. And our session was on the HPA axis and adrenal fatigue and that fight or flight mechanism preventing you from successful ketogenic lifestyle. And we had like fireworks going off after that class. I think of a lot of people that were like, ah, this is this is me. This is this is the what is going on. And um, we have supplements that we had recommended, like adaptogenic herbal blends and nervines and and amino acid compounds like L-theanine. But the reality is, and these are all tools, and I I, I think they're very successful to help to harness (laughs) the wild stallion. And especially if you're in this superhuman lifestyle, you may need the nutraceuticals to get you above water. But we were really emphasizing it's the extraneous elements and the interpersonal mental space and the lifestyle that you can't out-supplement. You have to create some resolution life change to create harmony with all of that. And um, I think it, it's a huge, 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 huge overlooked Achilles heel because our culture is so high-demand stress-obsessed that it's almost seen as like a weakness if we admit it. Um, so it, it's something I'm You are to-
3: so right on because... You know, all my life, you know, I have been told, "Oh, you're such a great multitasker. You're, yes. you're successful at what you're doing. You can do a million things at once, and you can run all these businesses and nonprofits." Like that's a good thing. Like <laughs> exactly, I had to learn how to undo all of that, and and be okay with someone say, "Hey, what you what have you been up to?" I would love to have my answer to be nothing. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'm there yet, but I, I really understand the importance of the nothing part. And my, I, my Achilles heel is definitely my HPA axis and mm-hmm. my thyroid. And I think when I look back at this, I think that was a tipping point for me 20 years ago um, with my uh, competing extreme skiing and taking too many antibiotics and eating poorly and traveling. My I basically got Epstein-Barr which you know of course almost everybody has quote unquote mono but it will only express itself if you trash your body and your immune system falls apart i think my immune system fell apart and my thyroid fell apart all at the same time and it was interesting i had a gluten exposure this week by mistake and I, Nisha has always said one molecule of gluten will set off, um, certain people with Hashimoto's thyroiditis.
1: Mm-hmm,
3: it's mm-hmm. absolutely the case for me. And I had one exposure, uh, in February when I was in New Zealand by mistake. And it was interesting to watch my labs that one molecule of one bite of fish. When I, I realized that it had gluten in it. Um, it took five months to heal on my labs.
1: Wow. Wow. And you know,
3: that's, I n- always thought Naisha was exaggerating, but sorry, Naisha, you were right again. <laughs>
1: again.
2: Oh my gosh. So we've talked about the HPA access, and Allie and I think can both relate to that one for sure um, as kind of our Achilles heel as well, maybe, yes. Um, what i saying. Yep.
1: <laughs> the, work yeah. the work I'm doing in my, my, I have a book out in spring um, on the anti-anxiety diet. I'm like, this, this landed in my lap for a good reason. <laughs> like, yep. This is why yeah, this is happening. Uh, personal <laughs> experience. <laughs> Universe. I, <mean. laughs> I get you. That's <laughs> a funny joke. Yes.
2: Yep. And we've talked a lot about keto today. I want to get into Allison in our last couple of minutes here. Um, what about some superfoods for cancer uh, beyond just the you know, the nine cups of veggies a day, nine to 10 or say eight to nine, um, the high veggie intake, what else, um, have you seen as superfoods that you use with clients?
3: Well, you know, of of course, nobody's eating enough fat, you know, when, when, when I say I'm eating a lot of fat, like people think, oh yeah, you put, you know, two tablespoons of butter in with your eggs in the morning. And I'm like, no, I put like an entire stick of butter in there in the pan, And the other day I was cooking one pan of broccoli, one pan of spinach and another steak in another pan and I was making salad in another pan and so one of the things that I try to do is I try to get three different fats in every meal. So let's say I'm cooking my protein in one fat, Uh, let's say I'm cooking the protein in beef tallow. Then maybe I'm cooking the broccoli in MCT oil and then maybe I'm dressing my salad with a really high quality olive oil. So there's three different fats in the meal and I try to rotate those fats around a lot because the building blocks of the essential fatty acids are different for every single one. And then the other thing for me is since I'm ApoE4, I have to focus more and more on short chain fatty acids uh, because of my genetics. So. APOE4 folks like myself, um, we're going to want to focus on things like uh, olive oil, avocado oil, macadamia nut oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also use a lot of MCT, but I use specifically C8 uh, capryl- caprylic acid because it's a short, it's the shortest chain uh, MCT-, MCT oil that we can currently buy right now. Um, So that has really changed, uh, the, my labs, um, by changing the fats that I eat, but people who are not APOE4, um, we're about 25% of the population, uh, really trying to mix up the short chain fatty acids with the long chain fatty acids. Uh, I think Bullock and Finney, they talk about our adipose tissue being made of 50%, uh, uh, short chain fatty acids and 50% long chain. So if we eat about in that ratio, um, we're going to replace that tissue uh, the best. And that made a lot of sense to me. Especially for brain, yeah. Yeah, especially for brain. And, you know, really using some kind of system to monitor your fat intake to see if it's high enough, like chronometer. And, you know, if you're aiming for like ketones above 3 you're probably not going to be able to squish in more than six cups of leafy vegetables. Right. Um, if you are trying to get your ketones between one and three, which is you know a good a nice level if you're trying to prevent cancer or if you have a lower grade, less sugar hun- hungry cancer, um, then you could probably get away with nine cups of vegetables. The biggest trick I have, and this is my farmer trick. I'm going to put my farmer hat on. Is is Try, ask uh, at a local uh, farmer's market who grows uh, a variety of greens year round. Find out who those farmers are and ask them if you could get uh, one bag of stir fry greens uh, that are mixed and seasonal delivered to your house once a week or you could pick them up once a week and one bag of salad dress greens and that they can pick whatever seasonal mix they have available. So I have those. I pick them myself and put them in the fridge. Um, each bag probably has over 10 to 12 different varieties of leafy veggies. And so I don't have to think about getting variety in of vegetables in my diet because those greens mixes have such a wide variety of color and species. Yeah,
1: and you're and, getting like brassica greens and beet greens out of things. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're
3: eating the rainbow without – venturing into the higher carb uh world of vegetables i love that
1: i love that awesome well we've covered so many bases today uh and and learned so much this is really helpful we'll make sure to put a lot of detailed links in the show notes and links to your site and your uh work. And I just want to close with finally, this is our question we asked to all guests and you kind of started off with your salad and stir fry grains and steak, but can you give us uh, what we call as dietitians 24 hour recall? <laughs> so yesterday from when you woke up to when you went to bed, just a little bit of a snapshot of a day in the life of what you had to eat and the timing. Oh, such a great question. So <laughs>
3: uh, I fasted in the morning.
1: Uh, with just
3: my homemade chai with nothing in it, and that's to help with my APOE as well as, you you guys know, the whole benefits of intermittent fasting. Uh, My first meal was at around 12 or 1, and it was a a high oleic sunflower oil with MCT oil and butter uh, cooking uh, chunks of our homemade bacon in the pan so lots of different fats, and then I sauteed a couple cups of Swiss chard, spinach, and kale, along with that bacon, a little bit of shallot, and garlic, and then I made a frittata out of that. Um, And then I had my, uh, what I call my ApoE ice cream, which is uh, a high-fat ice cream that I make out of homemade eggs and um, some type of fat, and a little bit of salt, and then I do um, 100% uh, organic uh, chocolate chips in there. Um, I also made uh, a Reese's peanut butter cup out of uh, peely nuts as the stuffing, and some uh, dark chocolate on the outside, and uh, I was curious to see if I ate both of those desserts, how my ketones were, and they were 3.8. And then for dinner, I had a big, salad with lots of different leafy greens um, with an olive oil, cilantro, uh, ginger salad dressing, and I had sauteed broccoli and cauliflower cooked in MCT oil and with a little bit of homemade goat cheese and a hamburger cooked in butter. Uh, that was from our cows raised on our property with a little bit of shallot and lots of salt and pepper uh, with homemade mayonnaise on top of that.
1: That sounds divine. <laughs> Dreamy. <laughs> I can feel it again. Yeah, it, it,
3: it has to be delicious, you it know, does. and I think, um, you know, you can have high fat and delicious. And um, if if someone told me tomorrow that, hey, you didn't have cancer, you didn't have, polycystic ovarian disease or Hashimoto's or breast fibroids if none of this stuff had ever happened to me and I could choose what to eat today I, I would eat ketogenic I feel so good the mental clarity is so good I mean you guys know this so well um, it becomes addictive it feels
1: good and
3: it, it's not about cancer anymore it's about having a lovely life
1: yeah thriving thriving in the body I think that's an awesome thing Cool. So good.
3: uh, Cancer is the best thing that ever happened to me.
1: Wow. That's incredible and so empowering, Allison. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Um, We will, like I said, share a link to the resources that you provide. And listeners, I hope you go to her website to learn more about her journey and her work with clients. And um, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm sure you'll be such an inspiration to our listeners. Well, thank you for being out there and giving so many
3: tools to so many people that need assistance. It's awesome having you.
1: Great. All right, you guys, tune in next time. Thanks for listening. All right.
3: Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans.